The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. It's just gone 7.30. Welcome to Squawkbox. My name is Arabi Lekumete. Let's get into it then. Here are your headlines. And China scrapping its quarantine rules for international travelers as it continues to wind back its zero-COVID rules, its biggest push yet towards reopening its borders since the pandemic. Asian equity markets welcome Beijing's easing of COVID rules with the Shanghai Composite jumping around 1%. While Japan's Nikkei index touches a one-week high. Stateside violent blizzards leave more than two dozen people dead across New York State during the Christmas weekend, while tens of thousands of homes are left without power and scores of flights remain grounded. Ukraine's Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba says uh, Kiev would be open to a UN-backed peace summit aimed at ending Russia's invasion, but stresses that he wants to see Moscow pay for its actions. Every war ends in a diplomatic way. The, every war ends as a result of uh, the actions taken at the battlefield and at the negotiating table. It's a welcome then to Squawk Box. My name is Arabi Lekumete. Merry Christmas. Hope you had a good one indeed as well then as we get into our holiday uh, discussions then as well. So some big news then coming out of the Far East, particularly Beijing, which has announced an end to its mandatory quarantine for inbound travelers. That's happening from the 8th of January. Now the country will also downgrade its COVID management to a less strict category. This has Chinese authorities reported that one person died from the disease in the past 24 hours. Now, the country's National Health Commission spokesperson, that's Mi Feng, has told reporters that the public will still need to follow the new rules closely. Our focus is to robustly prepare health resources with a focus on meeting the medicine needs of the general public striving out to protect the key groups, including the elderly and children. In particular, we will step up the vaccination of the oldest citizens, and we will earnestly enhance the pandemic response in rural areas. Categorizing and managing COVID-19 as type 2 infectious disease will still need the strong support from the general public. Now, Japan has also tightened its restrictions on inbound travel from China. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida uh, says the country will now require a negative COVID-19 test from anyone arriving from mainland China. Now, authorities will also ask travelers to quarantine for seven days if they test positive for the disease. Yeah, so the Asian market picture has certainly been one to really follow a lot of what's happened, particularly when it comes to the restrictions on COVID-19. And the Asian market has sort of 
look to find some sort of response to what exactly would happen. Xi Jinping uh, having taken, of course, uh, that unprecedented third term and, of course, one that may last for who knows how long, has certainly then looked to edge towards trying to ease that economy off, of course, from the strict COVID-19 rules, which has affected the economy and the growth prospects thereof. So the market across the board has certainly gone uh, a lot higher. Hong Kong is, however, closed in today. So too is the ASX out in Australia and New Zealand's market. But across the board, you're seeing some good gains with even the Shanghai Composite nearly 1% to the good uh, out on that front. The Shenzhen Composite also 8 tenths of a percent stronger. So some clear strength coming through uh, when it comes to the general trend around the Asian market picture, particularly out in China. If we look at the currencies then as well, the dollar yuan, uh, that will give you uh, a sense then of how uh, maybe the dollar easing off ever so slightly then uh, when it comes to that. You can kind of see it with the offshore yuan as well there, while on the uh, onshore yuan it is slightly strong, but pretty much flat across the board on that front. One can see that clear spike then, of course, as that news uh, came through then, which does give you a sense of the market reacting uh, to those COVID-19 restrictions being eased uh, ever so slightly then uh, as well. What it does mean across the board is that you could expect a few more changes happening from here. But how long will the recovery take? is the bigger question. Uh, a, a continued look then on those dollar crosses then will give you uh, some other sense of how the weakness in the dollar has come through somewhat, but it does mean that all the others are beginning to edge in a little bit too. That sterling dollar having hit uh, that 123 mark as well not so long ago, so there has been some clear strength in the sterling with perhaps an easing off for the dollar. But will that become uh, the story for 2023, that perhaps the dollar has run too hard? Maybe some weakness possible there. Recessions in play, of course, headed off into next year. So that will become uh, a, que a key question mark uh, as well uh, for the market and how it will portray itself. Pretty much flat stance here. And of course, this does come off the back of that uh, picture when it comes to uh, the COVID-19 restrictions. Japan having, of course, have said that they would require a little bit more when it comes to inbound um, uh, COVID-19 restrictions to there. So they want that negative test. It does give you clearer sense. They are opening that pathway ever so slightly. On to the futures then for the European market, of course, uh, around 24 minutes or so to go uh, until the opening of trade. We are expecting some strength to uh, pretty much come through across the board. The FTSE 100 out in the UK, of course, closed then for today's uh, market picture. But you can see a general strength of around half a basis point is what we're expecting to see when the market opens in a couple of minutes from now. On to the US picture. Well, last week we saw a few losses uh, across the board. Then we saw a bad week as well for the US market itself. But today we're expecting to start seeing some green come through, uh, particularly then for the US market, uh, gains particularly then for the Dow Jones. Now, Daniel Lakai joins us, Chief Economist at Tresses Gestion, joining us uh, this morning. Uh, a Merry Christmas to you then. Uh, it, it has been a time where we've taken a look at this market and thought the Santa rally might come through. It didn't necessarily come through. We're sitting now asking ourselves, well, where do we sit for next year? But then you get the big news, of course, of China. So let's start off with that. How does that fare into the opening up of that economy and how much of a good news story is that then for the market? 
Merry Christmas. Thank you very much. I think that the Chinese reopening is the biggest positive that we could expect for 2023. Uh, we have been looking at a very bleak picture for the Chinese economy, which is essential, not just for the growth of uh, the uh, rest of the world, but uh, particularly for Latin America and also for uh, Africa. So, the reopening of uh, the Chinese economy is certainly going to give a significant boost to growth all over the world, but also, and I think it's an important factor, uh, German exporters, French exporters have felt the pinch of the lockdown and the weakening of the profit environment in China, and this is certainly going to help a lot. So if we look at the overall picture, 2023 looks like a year that is going to continue to be very weak in terms of, of global growth. Certainly, the reopening of China is not going to bring the levels of growth that we saw in 2019, 2018. However, it is certainly going to be probably the biggest stimulus on the global economy uh, that we can expect uh, in, in a very challenging year. Daniel, does that mean then we kind of see a new normal when it comes to this growth picture, that this is the new normal? You kind of have uh, muted growth levels. Um, you'd be lucky to find yourself above 1%. I think you're absolutely right. I think that we are probably going to move into a decade of very, very poor growth in which uh, developed economies are going to find themselves lucky, as you very well mentioned, with 1% growth per annum if they're able to achieve it. And what is more unfortunate than everything else is with elevated levels of inflation, the latest estimates assume that we're going to have still elevated levels of inflation in 2023. So stagnation is a, is a challenge, but uh, we cannot expect uh, significant growth. I think that we're living the backlash of massive stimulus packages that were implemented in 2020 and 2021. That has not delivered the kind of potential growth that uh, many economists expected, certainly not me, but many uh, were aiming at at higher levels of growth ahead, that is not going to happen. And I think that what we can expect is very subdued levels of growth, however, not a crisis. And I think that markets are starting to picture that environment in which the, the, the situation globally is not of uh, a buoyant level of, uh, of growth and economic development, but one that avoids a crisis, a financial crisis, and if that happens, is certainly a positive. Daniel, how comfortable are you then that inflation has indeed peaked and that we are now uh, headed downward in that, in, that, in that picture? And how comfortable are we with a, a market that indeed may react to this in a slightly different way to what we've seen before? Yeah, it's. I, I'm certainly not comfortable about the inflation levels being at a peak, uh, particularly now that China has reopened. We have to remember that one of the factors that helped inflation figures come down from June to November was the fact that China was in a lockdown and that consumption of the the basic commodities 
was much lower than initially estimated. So obviously the reopening of China brings inflation back uh, to many commodities, and we're seeing how many of the energy and food commodities, but also industrial commodities, are coming back uh, quite rapidly. So I am not comfortable with the idea of a U-turn in inflation into the second part of 2023, because uh, that would basically entail a, a massive recession, and that is not the base case that we're working with. I think that we're, we're aiming at a, at a year of very poor growth, but w- without a significant recession, inflation is likely to continue to be higher, and certainly higher in the core inflation figures. Uh, And quantitative tightening, I mean, that's set to be the next big thing across Europe, perhaps, then, uh, for 2023, isn't it? And uh, just a clearer path will probably help uh, a long way in setting the tone for the central bank, especially the ECB, then. You're absolutely right. I think that the the biggest piece of of, uh, news flow and the thing that we have to monitor the most in markets in 2023 is quantitative tightening. We have lived two decades of quantitative easing. Uh, Central banks have always been accommodative. This will be the first year in which we are going to witness central banks reducing the balance sheet, which means two things, less liquidity for markets and at the same time, governments that will have to refinance their deficits at higher costs. So uh, the question is, how will it affect the valuations of quoted stocks and bonds? Because uh, quantitative easing certainly helped in asset valuations, certainly helped in multiple expansion. However, we don't know to which extent quantitative tightening has already been discounted in 2022 and what kind of impact it will have in markets. So we'll have to monitor almost month by month. Uh, also, because we don't know how much will be the extent of that tightening. Will it be $3 trillion, $5 trillion? A big difference that can have a very substantial impact on markets. So quantitative tightening certainly the most important thing for valuations and for the the performance, particularly of bonds in 2023. Danielle, I'm certainly with you in uh, in the context of looking at that inflation picture as well and seeing that as perhaps not the full story as yet. Uh, They often say that one uh, one swallow doesn't make a summer, but I guess very difficult to say in the winter here in Europe. Uh, but Daniel, like I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for joining us then uh, this uh, morning. Chief Economist then at uh, Tresis Grestion. Now coming up on the show, corporate travel is set to make a comeback in 2023. We'll discuss the latest post-pandemic travel trends next. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. 
12 and a half minutes to go until the market opens here in Europe. But a deadly storm is sweeping through the upstate New York area when we move to the U.S., dumping more than four feet of snow over the past few days. Now, the death toll has jumped from 12 to 27 in the past 48 hours. That's according to local officials, as more victims have been found in the snowbanks as well as cars. Residents in the Buffalo and Niagara Falls areas have been scrambling to get food and necessities amid widespread power outages as well as road closures. Now across the United States, at least 57 people have died from weather-related incidents this winter season. That's according to NBC News. A state of emergency has been declared in the state of New York with President Biden authorizing federal relief for the area. Now, more than 17,000 flights have been canceled since Wednesday, according to flight tracker site FlightAware. The Arctic blasts on the East Coast have forced airlines and couriers to ground their fleets or delay holiday parcel delivery. Southwest Airlines was hit hard by the winter storms, scrapping more than two-thirds of its flights, citing weather and staffing issues. Now, the Atlanta-based airline has apologized to passengers, saying rebooking won't be possible until 2023. Like all sectors, the travel and leisure space has been fighting to keep prices competitive while battling rising inflation. Now, the CEO of hotel comparison website Trivago holds, uh, told CNBC he expects pricing to remain elevated going into 2023. But the desire to travel does mean customers are either adjusting or ready to pay up. Almost every industry has inflation um, issues and has staffing issues, but and this year has been very strong. But uh, what we do expect, in particular in Europe, that people will have to save on pretty much everything. And what we started to see is that uh, travelers in Europe um, are, are trying to do three things. One is to reduce actually the length of their trips to save some money. The second thing is to to uh, go to different destinations that are actually cheaper and they're in particular um, Southern Europe. And the third thing that we are seeing, which is actually good for us, is that the users are comparing more prices, and that's exactly what we help them to do. Axel, I can let you into a little secret, and I'll let the viewers into a little secret. Jeffrey and I, the two anchors of the show, are going on a little trip later next year, and I can assure you the pricing was ripe. It was extraordinary. Pricing looks very, very frothy to me for all kinds of trips in 2023. I had a good look around at where the family are going to be taken this year, possibly with me going as well. Um, pricing looks very strong for the industry, or am I missing something? I mean, the prices are high. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, the, the prices have been high this year, and they, they will continue to go up. I mean, everything is getting more expensive. Um, or I don't know, that's at least our expectation that everything will get more expensive next year. And the trips will also get more expensive. So it's important that you are flexible and that you have more flexibility in terms of destination and also the time of travel. Can I ask you, Axel, um, about China? Um, we are on the verge potentially of a meaningful reopening of some parts of the country. What difference, if any, is it gonna make to business? It will make a big difference to our Asian business. I mean, let's be honest about it. I mean, China is, is a huge, um, destination and also a huge source of travelers um, in Asia, but also globally. And um, and by not um, being part of the the, the, the global travel flows, um, that has actually held back in particular the Asian markets. And that's why we are seeing less of a recovery in Asia than in Western Europe and, and the US. Um, so it, it will be very positive for for the hospitality industry in Asia.
Now, 2023 will be the year of in-person collaboration. That's according to the corporate travel company Trip Actions. The latest report shows large companies have already increased bookings by 24% as compared to pre-pandemic levels. Uh, Michael Regal is the general manager of Trip Actions and joins us now as we unpack the travel space. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Let's, let's talk about now China having said that they're reopening to some extent, right? I mean, you do have uh, a change in that policy, which is going to help with inbound travels a little bit more. How big will that be for corporate and business travel moving into 2023? Yeah, so first of all, thanks a lot for having me. And um, I think the effect of China and in general, I think Asia opening up a lot more will be very significant for, for business travel um, during the course of uh, probably next year. Um, as there's like, I mean, in general, especially if we look at travel coming out of Europe, there's two big patterns there. One is travel going to the US and one is uh, travel going to Asia, right? And I think so far over the last year, we've been missing one bucket. Um, and I think that's that's going to change patterns uh, quite a lot. And, and we see this actually with companies that they are demanding this a lot more now. Yeah, and one imagines that, you, you know, it's, it's, it's at a time like this then that the world will probably need uh, a little more drive to, to, to just keep on, uh, keep on going. But would you be able to even say that we're back to normal in a sense? Uh, you have companies wanting to increase the amount of business travel. Um, and, of course, you've had uh, um, the, the video calls and all of those taking up a lot of the time. But uh, would you say we're back to normal in a sense? Yeah, I would say in a sense we are pretty much back to normal. I mean, there's a lot of different effects. But if you compare, let's say, this year or, for example, the last three months to the last three months the year before, We've seen business travel grow by roughly 500%, right? And we know that the year before was still affected by COVID. Um, but as, as you also mentioned before, right? So I think especially large corporates, for example, they are spending more right now already um, than they did pre-pandemic, right? And part of this is due to also travel patterns changing, right? So there's a lot more remote work, which means that um, often travelers or employees actually travel there for conferences, they have more meetings and so on, as they are less, like, spend less time in the office, but more during like specific meetings, right? So um, I think that's part of uh, what drives this. What about inflation then? I mean, that, that has certainly been a, a, a key ingredient to rising prices. Uh, of course, fuel prices and gas prices have also impacted uh, quite extensively as well. How much impact will that have then moving forward? Yeah, I think this plays a little less role in, in business travel than actually in, in, in leisure travel because a lot of the trips, there's no question, but like employees need to travel for a certain meeting, for meeting a certain client, and and they wouldn't be like doing business if, if they weren't to travel, right? So this is why it's, I'd say, a little less sensitive. Um, that being said, we have seen in prices, especially going up during summer, um, they've gone a little down towards uh, autumn and winter right now. Um, but in line with what we've heard uh, before, I think um, prices will stay comparably high, which means that um, customers will likely have slightly shorter trips. Um, but then in terms of the spend, this would still mean the same level of spend, right? but probably on, on less days or a few less trips. Um, in, in your notes here, you, you also put out, you know, that there's a huge increase in demand for sustainable travel solutions. What exactly are those sustainable travel solutions that uh, entities and businesses are kind of looking at? Yeah, so, so that's absolutely correct. So first of all, I think companies are aiming towards net zero, at least a lot of them, and especially in Europe. Um, I think solutions um, that they, they are looking for, um, that starts first of all with um, having the data 
to actually be aware of like what's our carbon dioxide like what are we actually like um, what are we consuming so to say right so that's the starting point but then i think what is uh, a lot more interesting is how can you nudge people how can you nudge teams and employees into the right direction and this includes things like in Europe, especially, I can compare flights and trains, right? So that's, for example, a feature that if, uh, we have brought live in, in beta on our platform now, where you can basically say, hey, you have this flight, um, and that flight basically consumes this amount of carbon dioxide. Um, but then you have a train which consumes significantly less, and it only takes you an hour more, right? So there's a certain trade-off, right? Um, and I think this is something where, first of all, let's show the data, right? For example, on our platform, you can see for every flight, like, what's the carbon dioxide that is, is basically being consumed? Um, and then I think the, the, the second step is to actually be able to influence it. Mm. And I think the last thing, and that's something that companies are largely already um, doing, is uh, you can obviously compensate, right? So you can basically say, hey, for the amount that we still had to um, consume, um, we are compensating. And there's a lot of projects out there. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.